Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. I'm going to tell you something. Of all the market calls we've done, and there have been a lot of them, this might be the most important. Why? Well, you're going to know in a couple minutes. Thursday, July 14th, Swizzle here, joined by Dan Nathan, UCEY from SoFi. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app, people. And we're powered by Open Exchange. And wait, there's more. Frickin' Butters is joining us, too. I'm, I, it's crazy. It's crazy. Hello, Dan. Hello, EY. Hi, hi guys. Uh, hi, Liz, guy. Liz, welcome to a very special edition Oof. of Marketing. It's actually Bastille Day edition, Guy. You didn't get yeah. that in there. Happy Bastille Day, Liz. What's going on over there? Yeah. You know what happens in Milwaukee on Bastille Day? We do a, a run. I mean, I'm not there, obviously, but there's a Bastille Day run all around downtown, and there's a festival. Huh. Little known fact about Milwaukee is that there's a festival every weekend in summer okay festival festival, festival. <laughs> all the festivals all right we're, we're, we're I mean, doing it's only it. nice for like 11 days so you gotta have all the festivals that's that's an excellent point point. <laughs> and listen in milwaukee i mean what else are you gonna do on the weekends you're festive i mean it's fantastic yeah, i mean it's, 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 that's it or you go to the listen dan you go to the first place milwaukee brewers game who just continue to kick ass but that's not what we're here to talk about not here what we're here to, to talk, talk about, about is you know, so many of the things that EY, Butters, you, I, everybody's been talking about, it's all starting to come to fruition literally right before our eyes over the last 24 hours. And I find it to be interesting that, you know, this culmination of all the things we've been talking about and trying to sort of put on people's radar screen is happening. So that's how I'd like to start it, Dan, Nathan. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it, it kind of this year in the stock market, at least, you know, hasn't felt particularly panically we've had a couple you know really bad days or weeks right and it just really feels like this is what a bear market feels like i i remember it from 20 years ago in the post.com i remember the post uh, global financial crisis sort of situation here but you know what's funny is that like i think a lot of strategists are kind of losing their hope right the ones that had those kind of those uh you know 12 month price targets or year end price targets mm -hmm. for the S&P that almost had a five handle on them somewhere near you know 5000 i mean they're kind of gone here in Savita Subramanian, who we both um, think very highly of over at Bank of America. She had a massive cut to it. Now, Liz, I know that you do not do price targets here, but when you see strategists at very large shops like that go from 4,500 to 3,600 when the S&P right now is 3,750, what's kind of your take from a sentiment standpoint as a market participant? Yeah, I mean, that was a big jump. Usually the cuts aren't that big. So that was a really big jump down. And I commend her for sticking her neck out like that. So I think what the sentiment is telling us now, you've talked about this, Dan, particularly that not only earnings had to come down, but the strategists also needed to capitulate. 
I still think that the second half is not going to be quite that painful, but we might get it all only in the fourth quarter. But what it tells us is that everybody out there is looking at the data and finally seeing some of the froth come out, not just of the market, but now of earnings expectations, all of the sectors, commodity prices. We're seeing everything sort of fall. The only thing I could think of today when I was watching the market, hearing all the headlines, is that there's been kind of this low drum roll of risks that have gone on. And now we're getting to this point where there's this big crescendo that's building. But the good news is when we get to that crescendo, that's usually the bottom in the market. So we're getting closer. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting you say sticking her neck out. And I happen to agree with you. And and we talk about this a lot. Dan Danny Moses talks about it. There are really no repercussions um, for being bullish and being wrong because you sort of get lumped in with everybody else. But you know, when you make a call like this, if this market were for whatever reason snap back and be trading, you know, north of 4,200 over the next couple of weeks, there's serious ramifications. So she understands that. I think a lot of these strategist analysts do understand that. So for her to do that, understanding the consequences potentially, I think it's pretty extraordinary. And it speaks to, I think, everything we've been talking about. So I'm glad you yeah. brought that up, EY. Well, you know, it's funny, Guy, you usually get exercised when you hear people talk about the market in, in a market like we've been in as a panic selling. You were like, well, what about the panic buying, right? Like, like really, and, and I think you've said this on numerous market calls over the last few months, is like the only panic that we've really seen are when we get those counter trend rallies. And you look at this S&P 500 chart and you look a well-defined downtrend that's been in place since the highs in March after that vicious rally. And those bounces keep getting getting weaker and weaker here. And if you look, guide towards the lower end of that downtrend, you can find yourself at 3,500 or below. And you and I have both a combination of just the technicals, but also where we think estimates for the S&P 500 for 2022 need to come into. And then also what the multiple should be on those earnings, right? In a difficult macro environment, we have both been in the camp of 3,400, maybe with an overshoot. Talk to me about that one year. And then if you back it out to a multi-year getting to the start of 2020, I think that's where the technicals really kick in, round tripping back towards those pre-pandemic highs. Yeah, I think that's right. And I want I want to hear your wise thoughts on this, but you know, people think this is a bad thing. Thing, and I understand it's not a pleasant thing to go through, but I think it's a necessary thing to go through for a myriad of different reasons. I think what happens with companies, I think they take a more critical look at their businesses. I think it just makes people, the complacency that we felt up until effectively Christmas, New Year's of last year, I think that's obviously out. Now, I think people are a little more focused, which in the long run is going to be better for everybody. It's just getting there that's the problem. And in terms of this chart, getting there basically round trips, Dan, and you talk about this all the time. So I think Savita actually said in her note, although 3,600 is her case, she could see an environment where we actually trade down to 3,100, 3,200. So she's lining up with some of the thoughts that we've had for a while. Yeah, I think if you look at just the levels, if you if you take the drawdowns that we've seen so far, so we've gotten to 23% down or so in the S&P, we talk about this a lot. If it's a recessionary environment, you should expect an S&P that draws down beyond 30%. 30% down would be somewhere in that 3,300, 3,400 camp. So we'd have to get past that if the market decides that we are in fact headed for a recession. And I think that's been the really painful part over the last few weeks as the market is trying to figure out 
is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And now we keep getting these hot inflation yeah. prints and people, more and more people, strategists included, are starting to decide that, yes, in fact, it is going to happen, in which case there probably is more downside before we bounce out of this. Well, now, EY, when, I'm sorry, real quick, yeah. I was going to say, you know, each Thursday when I say goodbye to EY, I say, if you're not following her on Twitter, yeah. you're doing Twitter wrong. And, and here's proof positive <laughs> as to the reason why you should be following on Twitter. It's tweets like these. And she's exactly right. And Dan, kudos to you, by the way, who've been saying for a while now, and not incorrectly, you've been saying, you've been beating this drum that, you know, oil's probably going to go back to the mid-80s. Well, here we are. And Liz's tweet is exactly that. Oil back down to the pre-Russian invasion levels, which if you think about it, is really pretty remarkable, given that really nothing's improved in that situation. But here's the commodity right back down to where we basically started this entire thing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, this tweet, you know, got me thinking again, Liz, you know, you just said we had this 9.1 CPI print. And we know that a lot of what's been going on with oil has, you know, this kind of geopolitical bent to it and with a whole heck of a lot of uncertainty. But as a strategist, when you see that sort of round trip on something that, you know, we, we've talked about industrial metals, we've talked about wheat, we've talked about a whole host of other um you know uh kind of inputs that have been causing these inflation readings to kind of be at 40 year highs or so when you see that sort of round trip over the last let's call it five six months or so what does that kind of mean to you just as you're thinking about have we gotten to peak inflation here and we have this chart right here that you know your chart was fine our fact set chart is pretty tricked out here you have crude oil <laughs> you know back below its 200 day moving average back below that kind of nine uh, 90 level that was just a you know a, a parabolic move back in february and you see where that support is it's back towards those december november highs in and around 86 what does it make you think about your outlook for stocks when you see this sort of price action in crude it makes me think that we checked another box on that headed for recession checklist. And this is something that I know we talked about on Market Call last fall and earlier this year, that you usually don't get a recession without a spike in oil prices first. And as they spiked up, I started to get nervous. I got nervous a little early and even in a personal portfolio started averaging out of energy uh, probably March-ish. But look at what happened. And I wrote about this a few weeks ago. When you see that fall down in something like oil, it looks like blunt force trauma on a chart. And as an investor, you can't catch that. So you have to make sure that you're thinking about it and seeing the forest for the trees. There were so many people still pounding the table, and there still are people pounding the table about buying into energy stocks because earnings are strong, the dividend is strong. And yeah, that might be true, but they're still going to be correlated to this. And yeah. this big drop off in price, of course, there's different forces. There's supply and demand forces. There's the war that's ongoing in Russia, Ukraine. But the biggest piece of this, I think, is really that macro indicator of demand waning and people just starting to really worry about recession. Yeah, checking the box, as you will, about another thing that kind of speaks to like the, the sort of recessionary environment we're going to be in, whether we have the official reading or not. Guy, this is one that our friend Tommy V um, hit me earlier today uh, about natural gas. And so obviously that came off pretty hard. Um, and we know why, you know, we know that European natural gas is in a very different situation than here. And we're sending a lot of our, I guess, excess natural gas over to Europe. But, you know, this Nord Stream um, pipeline, it's been shut down. There's a lot of concerns about what that means for Europe as we get 
further into the war as we get back into the fall in the winter here. Talk to me about natural gas, Guy, because this seems to be, to use your expression, it's going to be pesky and persistent here. Well, you saw 40% peak to trough decline in this commodity. And we used to, when I used to actually do this for a living, we used to call this the widowmaker, Nat Gas. And you can see from the moves why we would call it that. And a lot of people got taken out to the woodshed on this huge move to the downside. But this story is not over by any stretch of the imagination. And I can foresee a time this fall when EY comes on with one of her catchy headline things for her her novenas, <laughs> talking about people having to choose between feeding themselves and heating their homes in Europe as we get into the winter months, because that's coming. I don't wish it coming, but you yeah. can almost see it coming. So what does it mean? I don't think the nat gas tra- trade is over by any stretch. I think it's taking a pause here. And we'll see what it means for some of these uh, integrated names. We'll also see what it means for crude oil, because I'm of the belief, Dan, and maybe incorrectly, that I don't think the crude story is over as well. Goldman Sachs recently said that although obviously the commodity is sold off pretty precipitously, they still think $140 in the cards, not necessarily because you know the world is getting better, just supply-demand fundamentals. Yeah. And in terms of the supply, it's just still not there. So we'll see how this plays out. But I think, Dan, I happen to think, and I don't know, Liz, if you think the same thing, but there are many chapters left in this energy story. Yeah. Dan, you want well, to direct? Well, listen, you just left that one hanging there, Guy. Really quickly, <laughs> be- before we get to Liz's <laughs> note here, let's look at this Chenier chart. This is, you know, LNG is the ticker here. And I thought this was really interesting. If you look at that uptrend that's been in place since the end of 2020, it's pretty fierce. It had that parabolic move um, earlier this year, but it's really testing that uptrend. And it's right um, right at that kind of support level that, you know, if it gets through those two lines, Guy, I mean, what would that be telling you about what equity investors are thinking about this supply demand dynamic throwing in the towels what they're going to say and again and i've said this and i'm not suggesting i'm right but there have been a lot of tourists in the energy space that and i'm not suggesting i understand all the supply demand fundamentals or the fundamentals um in in sort of an aggregate but what i will say is i think i sort of do get it but i think a lot of people that have gotten into the space are just people looking for the next beta trade and it happened to be in energy and i think they're fleeing it now but I do think there are going to be some people out there that say, you know what, they're missing the long-term boat here. Again, the still supply-demand fundamentals are in place. Now, to your point, if we break this trend line, that's a problem, clearly. And you have the headline talking about this as well. I just don't think we will. What I will say, though, Dan, is Bob Euchre is a, one of the greats. And I mentioned Bob Euchre because EY knows who he is. And again, I see these things you write, and I can see you sitting in front of a typewriter just giggling as you put these headlines out. And and here we are once again with another EY great prose by you. Yeah, Bob Uecker probably has a typewriter. I bet he does. I do. I mean, I've been around a while. electric, but anyway, (laughs) please. For anybody who doesn't know who Bob Uecker is, uh, the announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers for many, many, many years, the only one that I've ever known. And he's got these phrases that he coins, and I will hear his phrases in my head for the rest of my life. But my favorite one is when he hits, when somebody hits a home run and he does the whole, he cheers for the ball as it leaves the park. And he does it with get up, get up, get out of here, gone. The best was when we had Greg Vaughn as a player and then it rhymed. So it was like, get out of here, gone for Greg Vaughn. Unfortunately, there hasn't really been a rhyme since. But anyway, using him this week and using baseball this week as an analogy for this piece, obviously it's all going to be about inflation. One point I would make about the energy conversation, too, is that if you looked at headline inflation this time, so that 9.1 percent, 
energy accounts for about 9% of the inflation reading. Services account for 57% of the inflation reading, but they both contributed the same this time. So that just tells you how much energy has really added to our inflationary woes. And the fact that energy has fallen off a cliff could bode well for seeing peak inflation next month. But I'm not going to be another one of those people that keeps dying to call peak inflation because we've all been wrong for three months in a row now. So anyway, this this column this this week is trying to tie together to not just what's happening in inflation, but what does that mean for the business environment? And well-timed because this is the kickoff for earnings season. Something that I would point out to people is that that hot inflation reading probably gives companies even more clearance to be more negative about their outlook going forward for the rest of the year and into 2023, because it's obviously going to squeeze their margins. We're already hearing from financials this week obviously not going to be as impacted by something like energy. But as we hear from industrials next week, consumer companies, uh, all the other ones that are going to come after that, you're probably going to continue to hear about their profit margins being squeezed. And that CPI is a big conversation. Yeah, no doubt about it. Liz, is there any sectors as we get, let's say, through the back half of earnings that you want to buy, whether it be value, whether it be that's taken like kind of the brunt of a lot of the inflationary fears. And if we do find ourselves in a peak inflationary environment in the next couple of months, you want to be rotating into a certain sector. Is there anything that you're kind of getting a buy list together for? Yeah, well, so to frame that too, part of the note had a section that was who's on first, what's on second, I don't know's on third. Um, if anybody knows who is pitching and catching, I, I'll give you two points for that. But when you look at the sequence that this is going to happen in, as we continue to get bad earnings information, we're probably going to see the market, what I called cross home first, but crossing home is really bottoming out. We need to get some more information, I think, from consumer discretionary, and I would expect those names to get hit harder, not only because of the rate story and they're seen as growth names, but because the earnings commentary is probably not going to be great. Then I would enter. So I think before the summer is over, you want to be looking at some of those sectors that have really been beaten up, especially in the consumer space, and start dripping money in. I also think healthcare continues to be a great spot. And this week, as financials have missed on earnings and lowered their guidance, I think financials have gotten beaten up for reasons that are yield curve related, but they've gotten beaten up to a point now that they're pretty attractive from a value perspective, and I would enter there too. Listen, I know who those people are. I think it's today and tomorrow. I think uh -huh. today is the catcher no. and tomorrow's the pitcher or VC vice. Yesterday. I think yesterday, yesterday is catching. Yeah. Look at yep. you. See that? But I that Ab and Costello routine, you put that on today. It's still funny. I saw the original one back at one of those <laughs> theaters that we used to go to back in the day. But again, that's neither here nor there. But I will tell you, if you're not checking out Liz's blog, I mean, listen, check it out. SoFi.com slash blog. She kicks ass every freaking week. And I'll say this again. If you're not following her on Twitter, at Liz Young Strat, which is badass, you're doing Twitter wrong. So as we say adieu on this July day, I want you to enjoy your weekend. Uh, I want the Brewers to continue to play 630, 640 baseball. And we'll see you next week. All right. Go crew. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> All right. 
guy. The I mean, oh, go crew. It's so the, good. I mean, anyway, the brew, Dan, the brew crew. The brew crew. I get it, man. Um, the aforementioned bank stocks. Let's talk about it because that's yeah. kind of the main event this morning. JP Morgan. You know, we've been talking about it, filling in that gap, guy, all the way back from late 2020. The gap when we kind of got the um, vaccine news. And listen, as our friend Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting likes to say, like he says on Market Call, gaps are meant to be filled. And when you have one unfilled gap and you're going in that direction, uh, most charts tend to fill them. And I just think that this chart is kind of interesting. I want to get your take on what you thought you heard from Jamie Dimon here a little bit, but this stock's going to have a lot of technical resistance at 120 from the, you know, for the foreseeable future. And let's see, you know, can it hold after it fills in this entire gap or so thoughts guide? Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I obviously was in a camp that the JP Morgan specifically was going to bounce post earnings. That was wrong, number one. Number two, what did I hear from him specifically that gave me some concern or reinforced some of my beliefs? And that's pretty simple. The fact that loan reserves are back. Loan loss reserves are now back. I mean, so that's sort of, it really reinforces to me the comments he made like about hurricanes a month, a month and a half or so ago. So yep. it all makes sense to me. And I think you're seeing it manifest itself in terms of the stock. But I'll say this to your point, today at least feels like a potential capitulation day, not for the broader market, Dan, for potentially some of these banks as we fill this gap that you illustrated. So that's my quick thoughts on JPM. Yeah, no, and you've been saying this, that you think the investment banks, Goldman Morgan, probably do better than the big money centers for a whole host of reasons. They're going to trade their way out of this. If you looked at Morgan Stanley, their FIC trading was really good. Let's look at Goldman. They report before the open on Monday, and and this is one that you want to be kind of favorable to. This thing gapped, obviously, in sympathy with JP um, and Morgan Morgan Stanley today. But, guy, it is at a crucial near-term technical Mm. level on a one-year basis. And then if you back this thing out and you look at that 2018 high and you look at the breakout level from late 2020 and you look where this stock is right now, this is about as crucial of a technical level for a big, important financial stock as I can remember in a very long time. So Liz mentioned Greg Vaughn. He struck out a lot. And as you know, I strike out all the time, but it doesn't mean you stop swinging. And so I'll say this. I think you make a great point in talking about the level. This is a crucial level obviously down in sympathy with J.P. Morgan. I totally get all these things, but I do think Goldman Sachs will surprise people in terms of their number to the upside. Now, I don't think they will be fully rewarded for the quarter they're going to put up, but I think they will be somewhat rewarded. And I think for risk-reward, Goldman selling off on the back of J.P. Morgan is worth a look here, Dan Nathan. All right. Well, it better hold here, guy. Um, yeah. All right. Let's well, speaking do it. of better, yeah. if you took the E out of better, Dan – and you put another vowel in, what would you have? If you put like a U in there, is that what you're saying? That's a vowel. That's a, that is yeah. I-E-O. So, 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 I'd like to buy a U. Well, then buy that U. And what does it get you? Butters. It gets you freaking butters. And he is here. He's not here just in the digital form. He's physically here. Hello, John Butters. Hey, guy. Hey, Dan. How are you guys doing? Hey, bud, thanks for joining us. And, and listen, our, our listeners, our viewers, they get to hear um, a bit of a preview of your earnings insight that drops on the Fact Set blog every Friday morning. We get a little piece of it on Thursdays, but it is a true honor to have you with us today. We've done this, I think, over the last few quarters a little bit as we're heading into kind of earnings season. You know, you do this great work on a week-to-week basis, and I, I followed it for years and years, and I think it's just interesting to kind of gauge how investors are tracking earnings 
earnings into the actual events and then how they think of it as as guy would say what a pastiche is that what you say guy that sort of thing a mosaic a pastiche all those things yes Something like that. All right. So let's talk about some of the key themes that we've been tracking here. And John, like, give us a sense first. This is about, for me and Guy, a, a confusing macro environment as we can remember in a very long time and how that's going to play out in, on the sector level, individual names. Talk to us a little bit about, you've been tracking you know, a lot of this data for years and years and years. Give us a sense of like where you are, where your head is heading into this very important Q2 earnings season. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Coming this earnings season, we did have a little bit of mixed data in terms of the guidance from companies, which was more negative than normal, and the revisions from analysts, which were less than negative than normal. Now, part of that was because there were such massive upward revisions in the energy sector, which helped offset some of the negative revisions. So at the start of the quarter, we were only looking for growth of about 6%, and that only came down to about 4%, and that's pretty much where we are today. Um, a lot of that growth is going to be led by the energy sector, no surprise there. Um, but what's also interesting is we're off to a very weak start to this earnings season. You know, obviously, the big misses today by J.P. Morgan, by Morgan Stanley, Delta yesterday. Uh, only 65% of companies that beat the estimates. And on the surface, that might seem like a high number. But the five-year average has been 77%. And the 10-year average has been 72%. So not off to a strong start by any means. And, you know, again, if you had an average earnings season, that 4% would probably jump up to 9 to 10%. But if the numbers continue to trend like this, we're obviously not going to get in those high single digits. All right, look at this. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, but I was just going to say, John, what does that mean, though, for second half? I mean, like, literally right now, you know, current estimates for S&P earnings are up high single digits percentage. And if we really underperform Q2, um, and I think a lot of, you know, strategists that I follow, we just talked about Savita cutting her S&P target. That's based on earnings coming down the back half of the year. So will we likely see bigger revisions to the full year uh, 2022 if we come in well below for this quarter? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I think at, no, at this point, there's no doubt the numbers are coming down. And I think we talked about this the last time that at that point, you know, the analysts were likely behind the curve. Well, it looks like that was the case. And the numbers have started to come down both the third, fourth, third quarter, fourth quarter, and second half of 2023. So I think the real question is, you know, how much of the numbers are going to come down, right? How much negative guidance are we going to see? How much will the numbers come down? So, and I think we sometimes forget, and, you know, the last couple of years have been sort of, you know, these are stranger things reference the upside down, right? Back in 2021, companies were guiding higher. Analysts were taking their numbers up higher. And historically, that's not been the case. And as we came into the start of 2021, I think we're starting to revert to that mean. And now I think the pendulum may even swing more that we're not just going to see average revisions. It's possible to see even higher revisions downwards. So again, you know, if you look at that second half of the year for both Q3 and Q4, you know, right now the expectations are about nine, 10%. So I think if those come down to the, you know, five to 6% range, that's sort of an average downward revision, even though we haven't seen that in probably about a year and a half. If you start to see the growth rate dip below 5% or get into even the negative range, those are much larger revisions than we typically see. Um, and that would certainly start to raise some red flags for investors. You saw the bar chart talking about energy. I mean, it's a pretty dramatic chart. But then we look at this XLE chart in terms of just basically selling first, Dan, asking questions later. And that's exactly what's happened. And it's happened pretty quickly. I mean, this goes back, I want to say, beginning of June. We're mid-July here. And you see the precipitous drop. I think it's not nearly... Um, I think it's overdone. I think it's not nearly commensurate with the underlying uh, commodity move. But with that said, I think what people are saying is, you know, they don't want to get fooled again in these energy yeah. names. And that's what we have. I'll say this, though. 
I think energy is still a story, as I said earlier with Liz. And I think if you're looking for risk reward, like the XLE here sets up well, as do some uh, individual names. Well, I mean, to your point, Guy, I mean, the XLE, which is what, 35, 40% Chevron and Exxon is down. At the lows today, it was down 30%. And this is a long-term chart. You look at that trend that's been in place since late 2020 here, and you're getting to a level where if you like using charts and you think that these um, names are cheap and you think some of the supply-demand dynamics that you've already talked about um, so far in the program guy are in place. I mean, this is about as good a shot um, as you're going to get. It might make sense in and around this earnings season to look to play maybe like calls, call spreads, selling put spreads, something like that. It does set up pretty good. I thought it would hold 70 guy. It didn't. It's below the 200 day, um, you know, for the first time since late December. Not a great setup. Real quickly though, guy, on the OIH, oil services here, still well, well below their all-time highs made um, back in 2018 or so here. This one's below that uptrend that's been in place in 2020. Are you more um, inclined to kind of try to catch a falling knife, if you will, in the large integrateds as compared to these oil service names? Yeah, I mean, the OH is a different animal, obviously. Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, Halliburton, about 48% of that ETF. I'll say this, I'd rather actually buy it on a breakout back above 245 than try to play stock market here. That's somewhat counterintuitive. But that's the way I would look at it. You need to sort of get validation or clarification that people are going back to these names on valuation, which in the case of those three, to me at least, Dan, are still relatively cheap. We still have John, so I want to ask him a question because obviously we look at earnings all the time. But the other thing you absolutely have to look at, especially in this environment, are margins. And the next part of your note talks about exactly this. Yeah, exactly. So coming in this earnings season, the the estimated net profit margin is 12.4%. And that's below the year ago net profit margin, which is 13%. So no surprise there with inflation. Companies are seeing higher costs. You know, both the CPI and the PPI were above uh, the facts that estimate they reported this week. And this is clearly a hot topic for companies. No surprise here. Last quarter, 85% of the companies in the index talked about inflation on their earnings calls. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that number there again. Um, but what is interesting is, you know, companies are, you know, some companies are able to raise prices to offset some of this inflation. And we see that in the revenue growth numbers. Uh, right now, expectations for revenue growth for, for, for the second quarter, excuse me, are 10%. And if we hit that, that's the sixth straight quarter of revenue growth above 10%. And we haven't seen that in quite some time. So looking ahead again, analysts are very optimistic on their profit margins as they are on their earnings expectations. So again, we'll keep an eye out for the guidance, the revisions, and those profit margin expectations for the second half of the year. You know, it's a good chance they're going to come down over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this is a really important point. We saw Pepsi report earlier um, this week, and we saw that their ability to raise prices there in, in an effort to kind of maintain margins, um, margins despite, you know, again, disruptions with supply chains and input costs and that sort of thing, which kind of leads me to the XLP guy with the ETF that tracks the consumer staples here. And I guess the question is, as we get further into this earnings season, are we going to see other companies that have the sort of pricing power that Pepsi had? Because if they don't, that means that those margins are coming in um, and therefore the valuations that are being paid for some of these staples, guys, like 24, 25 times, just doesn't seem right in this market where, again, we've been tracking John's work on the average multiple for the S&P 500, the current, the trailing, the forward. We're well below those 10-year averages that we read in John's Earnings Insight each month here. And those multiples on some of these staples, they stick out like a sore thumb. 
market's been giving them a pass because they've been able to pass on their costs to the consumer. So that's why they're rewarding, they being the market, rewarding these names with valuations that for most companies don't make a lot of sense. But to your point, this might be the last quarter they're able to get away with it. And I think almost by definition, their valuations have to come down. So I think this chart sort of speaks to that. I think some of the individual names are going to fall under that, I think at a certain point, under that microscope. And when you look at a name, for example, you throw a Procter & Gamble in there, you know, at current valuation, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense when things were good in terms of their earnings growth. And in my opinion, it certainly doesn't make sense now, Dan. All right, let's hit one last thing with Mr. Butters here before we all get out of here. Like, how far can it go, John? We just talked about how earnings estimates right now seem very back-end loaded. I saw a tweet this morning from Zero Hedge that I thought was kind of interesting. He was talking about analysts scrambling, scrambling to downgrade their views on individual companies' estimates. Over the last five days, they're downgraded more than 500 names on a net basis. I think that's pretty staggering. It just shows you kind of how offsides a lot of analysts have been in the pace in which um, I guess estimates could come down that's what we're going to kind of realize over the next few weeks talk to us a little bit about that yeah like you said again you know expectations for the second half of the year about 10 percent give or take and you know if we see normal revisions you're going to see those growth rates come down to the six to seven percent range anything you know below five percent that's above average and what is interesting I did go back and take a look at revisions on a quarterly basis and it is rare to see estimate revisions 10% or higher. When we have seen that, it's been during economic recessions, either the pandemic or the financial crisis back in 2000, 2007, 2008. So, you know, I don't know if the revisions are going to be that severe, but, you know, we're certainly going to expect to see those numbers come down to some degree. And again, all of that will be dictated by the guidance. It's really early right now. We've only had a handful of companies give guidance. But as you know, next couple of weeks, more companies reporting, we'll get more guidance, we'll get a lot more visibility. Um, from the corporate perspective on guidance uh, the next few weeks. Yeah, and we're in an environment now, John, where you know, unless you absolutely know, unless you absolutely have clarity going forward, there's absolutely no reason to you know, give encouraging guidance in this environment. And I think that's what a lot of people are thinking about right now. And we'll see what plays out over the next couple of weeks. But you know, every once in a while, you get into an earnings season that matters. I happen to think this is one that does. Your work always matters. And on behalf of Dan, Nathan, I, and our viewers, we thank you for joining us here, Mr. Butters. Great. Thanks for having me. As always, appreciate You're it. You're the best. I mean, butters. You just say butters, people know. I mean, I say I just walk down the street sometime and say butters and people look at me like, oh, I know who he is. But that's it for today, folks. We're a couple minutes late. I apologize. I want to thank the aforementioned John Butters for joining us. Obviously, EY from SoFi. Be sure to sign up for John's earnings insight at insight.factset.com. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and we're powered by Open Exchange. I want to thank you, Dan Nathan. I want to thank Amanda Diaz. I want to thank our audience. I want to thank all you Yankee fans out there. I want to thank all you Ranger fans. We got Trocheck yesterday. I love him as a second center. Nobody cares. I know I do, but that's it. See you Monday with CB Dubs. See you, bud.